Tua. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It's a Friday, the last week before the last game of the season. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it is a Friday. That means we have John Kinjemi for one more go around here in the 2021 season. We'll talk Patriots, we'll open up the mailbag, and we'll pick the Week 18 games in the National Football League for the first time ever here from somewhere in South Florida. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Go ahead and jump now right into my interview here, the last one of the regular season with John Congemi. And joining me now for the final time this regular season, we'll have him back in the offseason to talk about Dolphins draft and free agency and roster building. But John Congemi, John, how was your New Year, man? How's it going? New Year was great, Travis, and I can't believe we're at the end of the uh, of the NFL season, and we're going to see the. Uh, the New England Patriots again. I, I, I forgot about them. We played them so long ago in the in the first week of the season in early September. But yeah, it's uh, disappointing that we're not going to have another game uh, this season in the playoffs to talk about. But at least we have the Patriots come into Hard Rock Stadium, and I hope that the Dolphins put one on them. Uh, this Sunday. Same here. And, you know, I, we talked about this before I jumped on the air here that I'm a little bit of a gut punch from Sunday and it took some time to get over. But now that we're here on a Thursday I'm, or a Friday, I should say that for the podcast, I'm looking forward to this because I want to see back to back winning seasons and I want to see a sweep over the Patriots for the first time in 21 seasons. It would be a sweep over the New England Patriots. And you mentioned week one, week 18, kind of a good measuring stick to see where you were and how far you came throughout the course of the season. But my main question before we jump in here, John, is, you know, New Year's Eve was a great celebration because we had bowl games all day. And then the next day we had bowl games too. And even my Cougs played on the 31st against Central Michigan and, and, and got blown out. So that wasn't very much fun. But I was curious, John, you watched those two games. Did you make it to midnight? I made it past midnight, which was <laughs> unbelievable. I, if somebody had taken the over-under, I was on the under <laughs> all day long. But uh, I, actually, I have to credit my wife, my son, and his girlfriend for uh, giving me a, a boost. I think I made it close to 1 o'clock. Wow. So uh, I, was, I was proud of myself. I was, I was beating my chest into 2022. That's impressive. The only time I make it to 1 o'clock these days are when we have primetime games because my daughter basically has me to sleep by about 10 or 11 o'clock most nights these days chasing her around the house and then waking up with her super early. But yeah, I, I did not make it. I, the, the Georgia Michigan game turned into a route. And so I, I put something else on and fell asleep before midnight and the fireworks promptly woke me up. So that's, that's my South Florida first new year's in South Florida experience there last year. I was back home, but let's go ahead and, and change the topic here to the, the game on Sunday, dolphins and Patriots and, and playing a divisional opponent for the second time. You know, I was curious to ask you, John, because I asked some of the players and coaches this week about, like you mentioned, week one, week 18, you saw them kind of have a full year of tape to evaluate what they do and get a better feel for how you attack them this time around. What are the challenges of that divisional familiarity, especially with two teams that, you know, they have some of our ex-guys, we have some of their ex-guys, and there's some scheme familiarity there as well. What are some of the challenges of playing a team like that, that there is so much familiarity and you see them twice a year? 
I think you add all the things that you said, plus the fact that this is an important game for the Patriots and maybe not so much for the Miami Dolphins in terms of where they're going. Okay. And it's an odd situation because it was so long ago in week one of, of, of the NFL season in September, both teams have, have changed dramatically. I think, even though, you know, it's the same personnel basically on the teams, you know, you take a look at the dolphins, they're eight and eight, how'd they get there? We know the story about the seven losses and then the seven wins and you lose the most important game of the season last week at Tennessee uh, it's been a roller coaster for not only the Dolphins and I, I think the Patriots. You know, you get to ten and six; they're tied for first in the AFC East. In the last month, Travis, this is a team that beat the Tennessee Titans, the team that the Dolphins lost to last week by twenty-three points. Yeah, they beat Buffalo in Buffalo. You know, they get a win against a good Indianapolis team on the road, but then they lose at home to the Bills by double digits. So, you know, it's a good team. Uh, they're challenging for you know for the crown of the AFC East, but it's been a, a roller coaster for both teams. And and I I believe New England hasn't been great on the you know at home. They've been a little bit better on the road, but it's going to be an interesting matchup because when you take a look at both teams on film, yeah, the, the similarities from September might have changed drastically to where they are now in January. John, we'll talk about their rookie quarterback, Mac Jones, here in just one second. But I saw an interesting comment on social media. I don't know if it was earlier this week or or I don't know when it was. But um, somebody had mentioned that they want to win this game and they want to come out and stomp out the Patriots, kind of like you mentioned, because they want to have a psychological edge over Mac Jones, thinking going into next year when he plays the Dolphins again, hey, I lost both the games to the Dolphins. And I was curious to ask someone who would know about that, is there something to that? Like if the Dolphins come out here and can just light up this this quarterback and keep pressure on him and intercept the football and take it away and, and limit their third down conversions and keep him off the scoreboard, do you think that could possibly have some psychological warfare next season? Boy, I, I don't know. I, I don't think so. I, I, I think it really, there's some merit. Everybody think it's, thinks that it's coach speak, but it is – uh, a very much a silo when it comes to that was 2021, 22. Yes. This is 2022, 23. And what happened maybe, you know, to a quarterback five years ago, uh, maybe if you get in the same down and distance, same time of the game, if you're, if you're that type of person and you're thinking about that possibly, but these, these kids, Mac Jones doesn't really know the Miami dolphins. I, I bet he doesn't know a whole lot of the history of how Tom Brady struggled down in South Florida or how the record differs from home to away, unless one of the reporters or somebody like us bring it up to him. He probably, it's not even on his radar. So I think that, I think it, it happens very, you know, infrequently, but I, I, I do think that it's, th- those guys are in a silo, those teams, those coaches, it's week to week, it's day to day. It's this opponent hit delete, go to the next guy. So I don't think it's going to be a factor. I don't think it will be a factor, say, if he struggled mightily. Now, if, he, if it's a five-pick game and he has to come down to South Florida in week one or two next year, maybe. But I, I don't think so on the whole. 
especially if he does that and then goes into the postseason because they have more games after this or at least one more game right. and he goes in the postseason and plays well he's not gonna <laughs> he's not gonna worry about that one bit but I like that term you use the silo because we're sitting here and we're so insulated with all these outside takes whether it's television shows or podcasts or radio programs or social media and we see all of that and so I think we kind of build up this perception in our minds of what the players might be thinking or hearing but like you said I think it's a different world and the, again, the silo, that's a great way to put it. Let's go ahead and stay there on the quarterback position because we saw the Patriots in that week one game convert 11 for 16 on third down. And, you know, that was, you mentioned, you know, one year you cut and, and move on to the next. That was coming off of a season where the Dolphins third down defense was top the NFL. And we've seen them get back to that. But that was the first game where they really kind of had a stretch of not great third down defense, starting with that opening game back in September. But Miami brought extra rushers in that game, actually more than half the time. It was 21 blitzes on 40 dropbacks, but it didn't generate to pressures. How would you play Mac Jones this time around? Would it be pressure heavy, coverage heavy? What are you trying to accomplish against him in his 18th or rather 17th start of his career? Well, it seems like with Mac Jones, the ball is going to come out no matter, it's going to come out quickly, no matter if it's zone coverage, if it's man to man, if it's a boatload of pressure that, uh, you know, you're going to dial up against them. The ball's going to mo- the majority of the time come out accurately because he's he's been fairly good for a rookie, close to 70%. I think he's just under maybe 67% as a passer this year. And he's done a really good job, I believe, pre-snap of where he wants to go the, with the football or where he'd like to go with the football. And that that trims a lot of the doubt out of a quarterback's mind and out of really, if you're a smart receiver if you're a smart lineman if you're a smart back pre-snap when mac jones is going through all of that stuff i I would think the guys that have the green light specials and hey this is my play because the coverage they know it too so they're they're going to try to time their routes a little bit sharper a little bit more crisp coming out of the break because they've got a chance to get the football and that's why i think jones has been so good and so accurate with the underneath stuff the ball comes out on time i think they're he's around smart players he is a smart player, and he does a lot of things very well before the ball's even snapped. So I think that that helps him. Now, on the flip side, can the Dolphins get Mac Jones and the Patriots offense into third and medium and third and long? If that happens, advantage Miami, because that's where they've lived in the seven-game win streak. That's where they dictated to opposing quarterbacks, no matter the – youthfulness or the inexperience of the quarterbacks they were going up against, if they had veterans, they would struggle with consistency when you're facing those types of third and long situations over the course of a game. So that's where the Dolphins defense wants to be. They want to be able to be really good on first and second down, and that's going to be a chore because there's a two-headed monster in the backfield. Now, I don't know how they're going to roll out in terms of health with the running backs because uh, Harris has been – uh, had an in- injury, I think it was a uh, hamstring possibly, but Stevenson had a big day last week. If those t- two guys get going, I think that's advantage Patriots because that's the, that's the hidden yardage you get. And that's where you get into second and two, third and threes. And that's where Mac Jones wants to be. It's a great example of the seven game winning streak and, and how the Dolphins were able to stay in those, those third down and mediums and longs. And it generated sacks, it generated takeaways. And, and, you know, 
if, if you're not taking the football away, knocking the offense back an extra eight yards before they punt the football with a sack, that, that has a big swing in the game as well for field position sake. And so I think it's a good example of that because last week against the Titans, you know, Tannehill completed 13 pass for 120 yards. I mean, perfectly he played a perfectly well game within the confines of what he was asked to do, but they didn't have to ask him to do a whole lot because they had such success in the running game. And you mentioned that there with that Patriots run game. I mean, I, I love me some Damian Harris. I love me some Ramondre Stevenson. Both those guys bring an absolute, you know, lunch pell mentality to that Patriots running game behind a good solid offensive line. And that takes me into my last question for you here, John, about this game and, and how, or before we get to the Dolphins can win, if, um, you know, the Patriots have always had this, this, theme or philosophy that I, I think is pretty obvious. They, they stack up large human beings on their defense. <laughs> and especially in that front seven, that linebacker position, Dante Hightower is one of the most unique body compositions for my money in the national football league. And so I guess beyond the obvious, what does that do to challenge an offense? Because nowadays I think there's, you know, the, the pendulum swings, right? It's, it's speed one year. Maybe it kind of goes back towards more power football later on. What is the challenge of playing against a team that has so many big bodies that can just physically really impose their will on you? They're hard to move uh, at the point of attack and it's usually against their will. And, and that's the same challenge the Dolphins faced last week in Nashville with the Titans defensive front. You know, everybody's got big guys, but big mobile athletic uh, guys that are motivated because they're trying to improve their team status heading into the playoffs. That's what you faced last week, and that's what you're going to face this week with, with Barrymore and, and Godchild, Lawrence Guy, big physical athletic playmakers that allow guys like Hightower and Van Noy and Jerron and all the skill set of the secondary to play freely behind them. So can the Dolphins offensive line, can they, can they work as one? Can they, can they, you know, slowly move that line and give some creases to the running game and some play action passes and RPOs and get to all that stuff without the disruptor disrupting the timing in the pass offense or disrupting uh, the integrity of, getting off uh, to the second level and being able to get a blocker, a hat on a hat. So the running backs like Duke Johnson and Lindsay and Gaskin can have creases to run through. Those are the challenges. They're the same challenges every week, but when you have guys that are motivated at the end of the year, because they know this game is very important to them, they're not just going to come out and give you that 75% effort. These guys are going to be going for, from start to finish for 60 minutes and it's going to be up to the Dolphins' offensive line. It's going to be up sometimes to two at the line of scrimmage to get this offense into the right play, to set the right protection, to be able to get the ball where it needs to go uh, early in the game, to get you some confidence going. I think that's going to be a real important factor. How the Miami Dolphins offensively, how can they stay on the field and not have you know two or three great plays like they did against the Titans, all of a sudden have to punt, and then your next couple series, you go three and out, three and out. Now you're you're taking on water. You, I felt it as a fan, and I'm sure they felt it on the sidelines. This is kind of getting away from us. Yeah. We need to do something offensively. And they never quite could get a handle on a game that was a very winnable game. Yeah, and some of those, those chunk plays that they miss in the passing game, some of those you know, slants or corners or digs and those curl routes to receivers that it looked like there was some space and just couldn't quite hook up on those. And John, I said that was my last question about that particular aspect, but I want to follow up on that because you mentioned Tua and kind of coming back off of that game where he'll tell you it wasn't his best performance. 
in that game on Sunday. What does he have to do to respond? Like, what did you see from his game on Sunday last week? And how does he get those kind of, I guess, ailments that he displayed fixed? And is it important for him to respond this week heading into the offseason? It's a lot of questions for you. I apologize for that. No, no, no. I, I think it is important for him to end on a good note. I, I think it is important personally. I think he wants to do that. He's trying to do that every week. He's not, you know, going out there and and saying, you know, t- today's going to be, uh, you know, a 50% percentage type of game. He's trying to play at an elite level every time he hits the field. And that's what you respect about uh, these athletes that are, that are out there. I mean, these guys are trying to perfect their craft each and every day and especially on Sundays. And I think for Tua last week, you know, we were talking before we started the podcast today. I think it was the first time he had ever played in elements like that, that cold, that type of rain, sleet, wind, uh, that was a raw day. And you could tell um, he had a little bit of difficulty just with the simple, simplest thing of ball handling and getting the ball out of a RPO and getting it up real quick and the ball comes out. Every quarterback's done that, whether it's humidity, uh, rain. But you could just tell he was a little bit off because his feet weren't matching his eyes as often as they do, and it just looked out of sync a little bit. This week, he's going to want to come back and play the perfect game especially against the Patriots and especially at home at Hard Rock Stadium where he can leave off on a really good note because on the whole, Tua had a pretty solid season in terms of numbers and percentage, but he'd like to really, this, you know, what have you done for me lately? That's where we're at as a society. Yeah. I think he'd like to finish off really strong. So there's a, you know, there's a good feeling about him going into the offseason. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. And I also, we talked to Tua in his you know weekly media availability and he talked about it and how he needs to be better prepared for those type of situations. And it's something, John, that you mentioned the respect you have for Tua. The thing that I respect most about him is that you know whatever he believes were weaknesses of his this season, he's going to work on those every single day in the offseason. The kid doesn't even, he talks about this, how he doesn't really leave the house a whole lot. He goes and gets flowers for his mom when she comes and visits. But other than that, he's mostly in the house working on football. So good stuff there, John. I appreciate you getting to my follow-up that was kind of a clunky question there. We'll come back and ask you how the Dolphins can win this football game and get to the mailbag questions from you guys on Twitter after a short break here on the Drive Time Podcast. All right, picking it back up here on Drive Time. John Kinjemi is my guest. John, we ask you this question every single week. The Dolphins can win in Week 18 if? If they win on third down. I think that's going to be an important stat this week. And it is every week, but New England's very efficient on third down because they're good on first and second down. And they're not in a lot of situations that way. I think they're seventh in the league offensively. Dolphins around the middle of the pack defensively on third down. I think that it comes back to if the Dolphins can get to their pressure packages, if they can get their skill guys on New England skill guys and limit that time and and thought process pre-snap and then when the snap actually occurs, identification could be a problem up front. Mac Jones hasn't seen it firsthand in terms of the way the Dolphins can bring it. So I think third down, both, both sides, but most importantly, when Mac's on offense, Dolphins are on defense, can we get off the field and get more opportunities for Tua and the Dolphin offense? And that lead, leads me to another point I wanted to make, explosive plays. The Dolphins have to win, and not only win in explosive plays, but they need a score or two on explosive plays. That could be a block punt. That could be a return. That can be uh, a catch and run from Waddle for 75 yards. Something that 
ignites Hard Rock Stadium, something that gives them the lead early and, and tells New England that the Dolphins aren't just going to lay down. So, you know, the, the New England defense, they're only giving up around 17 points a game. I think it's first in the National Football League. And they're a very good road team. They've been you know, on the winning side. I think they're 6-1 and one on the road this year. What stops that? Explosive plays, something that out of the ordinary. The Dolphins have to win that, and they have to do what they did in New England on week one. If Mac Jones and company are in the red zone, give them a field goal opportunity. Give them a field goal opportunity. Get them out of the red zone. Give them a longer field goal opportunity. Turn those easy six-point chances into field goal opportunities. And if they can do that, I think the Dolphins are going to win at home to close out the season. I'm very excited about that. And I'm glad you mentioned that because on, on Dolphins Today, which is up on YouTube, uh, when you hear this podcast with me and Joanna Torres, I mentioned the exact same thing. The Dolphins hit, I think it was a 37-yarder to Jalen Waddle in that opener and a 30-yard pass to Devontae Parker. And those two explosive plays really kind of changed the field. I think the Dolphins scored touchdowns on both of those drives. So explosive plays, always a key, especially against this tough, tough Patriots defense. John, we got two mailbag questions for you here, and I'll let you get out of here. The first one comes in from at Don Kearns Jr., and he asks, what's up with the Dolphins' assistant coaching changes the last couple of years? Why is continuity so difficult to achieve here? Do you think that's the case, and what do you think has kind of caused some of the coaching changes on the on the Dolphins' staff? Well, I think sometimes when you have a first-year head coach, you know, going back to when Brian Flores, a first-time head coach, excuse me, you're trying to figure out, you know, you've got a plan as you're an assistant, as you're a coordinator. This is who I'd like to target. This is who I'd like to get. But your wish list um, sometimes isn't reality. And you're, you're kind of going to, okay, this is a plan B, plan C. I'm going to grab this guy. And you're, you're trying to change as you're trying to win games to fit what you originally had in your mind. So I don't know if it's – I don't think it's rare – uh, to see guys the first time they get a head coaching job, maybe switch offensive coordinators or switch position coaches in their first couple of seasons because they're trying to get closer to what they envision would be their perfect scenario going in and, and taking the reins for the first time in the National Football League. So it may not change next year. It may t- be tweaked again next year. But it's all done to try to get the best chance of winning and the best coaches available that are that are out there. Because I'm sure there are a lot of coaches that Brian Flores had on his list that have lines through it. Now, he's he's at the Vikings. You know, yeah. He's with the Cowboys. And he's in college football still. I can't get him. I can't pay him enough to get him. Or, you know, he's got a job where he doesn't want to move his family. Uh, there's a lot of dynamics that go into getting the right staff. And I, I think that's a challenge not only for Brian Flores every year, but for every coach in every, you know, college, NFL. It goes right down the line. It's a tough job to get the right people, the right chemistry. But I think Coach, is, he's a hard worker at it. He's very, uh, I guess, convincing if he can get in front of people. So uh, I think he's, he's closer, uh, rather closer to, to where he wants to be than he was maybe two or three years ago. No, that's exactly why I wanted to ask you that. And that's a great answer to that question. And, you know, the thing I like about it is that they're not going to sit and just rest on their laurels and they're going to try to find ways to improve every single season and really, you know, every single day. That's that's the daily moniker of this Dolphins team under Brian Flores. But I'm glad you were able to kind of articulate that for us because, you know, and not to like to, to dunk on anybody specifically here, but in, in terms of like social media, I always see, you know, if I was in charge, I would simply go out and trade for this quarterback. I would go out and hire this coach and I would get this offensive coordinator. 
like you mentioned, it's not always that easy. You can't just go shopping at a grocery store and pick things off the shelf. It's, it's a lot more to it than that. So appreciate that answer, John. I've got one more question for you here from at Todd D. Johnson one, kind of a chicken and egg type of question here. You know, the Dolphins running game is 31st right now in the National Football League. He asks, should the Dolphins draft a running back or an offensive lineman first next year? And he, he says, not necessarily first round, but which one is a greater need? So I guess I'll ask that last portion of the question. Running back or offensive line, which one do you put a little more emphasis on in the offseason? Um, wide receiver? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that, you know, we, we have tried uh, to, to shore up the offensive line for many years now. And I think that by moving guys around and getting a better picture of what exactly is needed, I think that they will address the offensive line in some shape or fashion. I think that when you take a look at the running back room, I felt personally that the Dolphins were going to do it in last year's draft and probably the draft before that. They really didn't do much of that. They found Miles Gaskin, who's a a great back. I think he's, he's a terrific running back, gives you a lot of different things, but it says a lot when you can go get a Duke Johnson and a Philip Lindsay kind of off the street. And all of a sudden they're the, you know, they're the thrust of, of this last month going, you know, in the running game for the Dolphins. And that Miles Gaskin may be uh, pigeonholed towards a third down type of situation. He's going to give you good, tough running, but he's also great out of the backfield. Yeah. Use the skill set of what he does really, really well, catches it, and he makes people miss in space. So you've got a pretty good dynamic there now. Um, going into the offseason, I think everything's on the board. I, I think you want to improve this football team any way you can. So if it's finding a running back that you think is better than what you have on the roster, then you go get them. If it's finding a right tackle that you think is better uh, than what you have or a, or a left guard or whatever position it may be on the offensive line, you go out and you get it. So I, I don't know if, if one position is further along than the other. I just think that when you're looking at improving a football team, it's all across the board. I think it's all, all hands on deck. Where can we get the best players? If, if there's somebody out there that's better than what we have in one of those meeting rooms, we should go get them or at least try to go get them. No, that's, that's perfectly said. And actually, I wouldn't mind kind of, you know, adding some two cents here on that as well, because, you know, you mentioned going into year four, once this game on Sunday is complete, we're heading into year four under, under Brian Flores and Chris Greer. And you just look at the way the roster has kind of stacked up from one to 53, you know, 2019, 2020, 2021. And you mentioned the, the open possibilities of the additions and they have the cap space and they have the draft picks and future draft capital to be really flexible. And that's what this organization wants to be is flexible with the assets they have to be aggressive, to go back in the draft, whatever the case may be, that's been their kind of MO. And I look at the, the possibilities, like you mentioned, like let's say they do go out and address the offensive line heavily. All of a sudden you've got, you know, a Liam Eichenberg and an Austin Jackson uh, and uh, you know, uh, Michael Dieter, these guys that have shown you they can play in the league as far as getting some experience in and have had flashes, and all of a sudden, these guys can become depth or competition, or they can win a starting job, and if they, they do, that's great because they, they've developed and they've improved, and we've seen that guys can do that. I mean, Christian Wilkins, a great example of a guy that's come along here in year number three. Mike Gesicki talked on his media availability on Wednesday about how his rookie season, folks wanted him out of town, and now he's a one of the top pass-catching tight ends in the National Football League, and so I think about... The fact that in 2022, I think Miami's going to have their deepest roster just, just by product of the draft classes coming along. And you talk about those draft classes, you expect development from the 2020 class, the 2021 class as well. 
I just think it's a good position to be in with the resources they have to continue to bolster the depth of this roster and create competition all over the roster, John. And, and you know what? They've gotten the experience of playing. They haven't been backups. These guys have been starters, and they've been getting the reps, and they've been playing in National Football League games with consistency and playing at a high level. So there's a lot of experience that's being built up on a team you know, that, that won 10 games last year that hopefully has won nine games this year uh, if they win on Sunday afternoon. So they're, they're, they're very close to becoming a team that you want to be able to say, hey, I don't want to play those guys next week. You know, because they've got some matchup problems or they're good at this or that. So the Dolphins are, you feel like they're closer uh, than how you felt last week after the loss because it was such a gut punch. But, you know, a better start to the season, more consistency overall. We're, we're talking about a, a different scenario the last week of the season. Well, I don't know about you guys, but this podcast makes me feel better after the loss. I think I'm completely over it now. I'm ready for the Patriots. I want to get that W. It's a big one to me. And then just talking about this, I'm excited for what they can do with this roster in the offseason. I think, John, what we have to do is get you back on more frequently and have these conversations for Senior Bowl, for the Combine, for Draft, all that stuff. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, I'm all for it, man. I can't wait to... uh to uh, see what this team, where it's going to go in the offseason. Unfortunately, we won't be there in the postseason, but uh, I want to see this team finish off strong and and make a statement against the New England Patriots because the Patriots have a lot to play for, and this Miami Dolphin team has a lot of pride So from the coaching staff down. So I'd like to see them finish off on a winning note. Always a big game against the Patriots. John, we appreciate you. We'll see you on Sunday. 425 kickoff. I, I like the 1 p.m. ones, but we see you on Sunday night. It's the last one till September, my friend. Thank you so much for your time. We'll see you on Sunday. You got it, Travis. Well, that went longer than I planned, but I'm happy it did because that was tons of good content there with John Kinjemi. Like I mentioned, we'll get him back on for the offseason to get to some of the nitty-gritty here as far as roster building and one of my favorite times of the year on the calendar. Don't get me wrong. I love Sundays, but roster building has its own special place in my heart as well. Let's go ahead and finish up this podcast with a couple of more mailbag questions. But first, real quick, a short break. Friday edition of the Drive Time Podcast, the last one before week 18 and the season finale at home, 425 kickoff against the New England Patriots. And you're going to see those throwback uniforms on Sunday. Let's continue this podcast here with the mailbag questions. This one comes in from at Hassan Patel. What are some prospects you'd like to see as Miami Dolphins? Well, Hassam, I'm still very, very early into that process. I've only really seen broadcast copies of most of these guys, aside from last year's Draft Cycles tape study and seeing them on those tapes as kind of secondary watches. And those guys can pop and stand out, and that gives you, obviously, your summer scouting series of looking ahead to the next future class that year. And by the way, when we transition into the offseason, one of my first plans is to really get into the Senior Bowl rosters, which, you know, why, why don't I just go ahead and give you my current favorite player, players by position? Does that work? At quarterback, I like Malik Willis out of Liberty. I think you watch his bowl game. You see kind of the physical traits and the gifted athlete that he is on display there. He can make some big time throws and make an impact with the running game as well. I'll be curious to see about how, you know, where he goes as a pro and how he develops from the player he is now to where he can get to his peak, you know, prime years and the prime level of ability he has could be a very high ceiling there for him. At running back, I like AM's Isaiah Spiller. 
the fact that he can do really anything in run game, pass game, you can flex him out and have him run routes from the receiver position. I think that's very valuable in today's NFL. At receiver, I have several, as I do every year, but Jamison Williams is my favorite of the entire bunch. I also am a big fan of John Mechie. I think that when he went down, the Bama offense kind of took a little bit of a, a step back because that he was so integral to what they do offensively. And then David Bell out of Purdue. This is one of the best pure route running player or receivers in the entire draft. At tight end, I like Isaiah Likely out of uh, Coastal Carolina. Just He's a vacuum, big mitts for hands. He catches everything, whether it's on the body, off frame, reaching up high, going down low. An absolute vacuum at 240 pounds and a pure athlete who, can, who I think will test well. Big fan of his game. On the offensive line, there's a few here. I think Kenyon Green, whether it's interior or tackle, and Evan Neal at tackle from Alabama and Green's from A&M. I think those are almost as unanimous as it gets in this draft. And if we're going to call Green a tackle, then Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa, the center, is just as unanimous. That's a great group on the offensive line in this year's draft. On the interior defensive line, I like Jordan Davis. That's probably a chalk answer. Some of these are. But just the the size that he offers and the way he plays and the quickness he pairs with that size on that Georgia defensive line, he is an absolute freak. Off the edge, I'm still in the Kayvon Thibodeau camp as far as the Thibodeau-Hutchinson conversation. Both these guys are going to go in the top three or four picks in the draft, most likely. But Thibodeau's flexibility inside, outside, the rare athletic movement and the bend that he features and the length, I think that he's the, the cream of the crop in this entire draft class. Number one overall player for me before I get into all the tape. At the linebacker position, Devin Lloyd from Utah is so, so, so good. He does. He's kind of, you know in the mold of a Jerome Baker in terms of he can play all three phases of, of pass rush, coverage, run defense. He doesn't leave the field. Just an absolute impact player. He's fun to watch from Utah. I also like Quay Walker from Georgia. The length, the bend, and just watching that Michigan game, man. Like, I don't think Michigan was ready for the physicality Georgia brought in that game, and Quay Walker is a big part of that. He's just so powerful when he strikes and I still believe that in football, that's like the number one thing. You've got to be strong and big and powerful. He checks all those boxes. At cornerback, Sauce Gardner, that's too easy. The way he moves, it's just very smooth and fluid. And he can mirror, he can press, he can play off. He just does everything very well. I also love Trent McDuffie from UW. Ugh, go Cougs. But <laughs> the way he competes and tackles and the physical nature of his game, he's scheme diverse. There's a great clip of him. I forget what game it was where he basically is lined up to the boundary and they motion his man and give him an end around. And he goes all the way over the top of the linebackers to the field side of the formation. So runs the full uh, width of the field and makes the play in the backfield. Super impressive. At safety, this is very chalky, but Kyle Hamilton. Actually, you know what? Kyle Hamilton's my number one player in the draft right now. Thibodeau would be number two from Notre Dame. He's he, he made the best play I've ever seen in college football. A pick he made, I think it was in the... Stanford game early on in the season where he ranges from one side of the field all the way to the sideline and makes a diving catch. He's a phenomenal player. And I also put Jalen Catalan from Arkansas among my safeties. Does that work? That was a lot of fun, actually. I can't wait to get into the draft cycle. We got some time to go before that, but we'll start diving in here very soon. Last question here from at Ruben Ramirez. Can you tell me the number of snaps the Miami offense has played with 11 personnel, 12 personnel, and 10 personnel, please? And can you separate those by quarters? I can definitely do that at some point later in the offseason, Ruben, but right now I don't have access to those splits by quarter. I can tell you the volume percentages. Miami's 11 personnel packaging was ran 28% this year. That was the lowest in the NFL. Atlanta was at 30%. 
But they've got, you know, Kyle Pitts and James Hurst there at the tight end position. Corey, uh, or Corderell Patterson, rather, and Mike Davis at running back. So some flexibility there. The Ravens at 43% 12, 11 personnel. The Niners, 46% personnel. Both of those teams have full-time Pro Bowl fullbacks. And then Cleveland also below 50%. At 44%, but again, David Njoku, Austin Hooper, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, those are kind of some of the teams that ran similar personnel groupings to Miami this season. At 12 personnel, Miami ran 61%. That was the highest in the National Football League by a significant chunk. And then 10 personnel, one play. Not 1%, just one play. That was in the Week 3 game back against the Las Vegas Raiders. And just kind of thinking about that, you know, Will Fuller played... I think it was 62 snaps this year, and Devontae Parker missed a handful of games. You have to imagine a full complement of those two guys would increase the 11 personnel usage, especially Fuller, because, you know, just playing, was he here two games, the Raiders and Colts games, and we didn't see him again? You have to imagine that him, him being available and out there would increase the usage of that personnel packaging, but I found that pretty interesting. Last question here from at Cliff Mack. Who was your favorite player to watch this season? Jalen Waddle from training camp day one from OTAs. The explosive nature of his game. He just moves at a different speed than other guys out there. And the way he played the football in the air. Like, I knew he could do it in college, but seeing it up close and personal every day, that was what really kind of got me on the Jalen Waddle train immediately. It was always his ball, and he was going to go get it. And then there were some drops in camp, but we saw, like, what, three or four this season? I thought he buttoned those up. And watching the All-22 every single week, I mean, you heard the film review podcast. He was consistently running routes that, quite frankly, I didn't think were coverable from even the best cornerbacks in the National Football League. You know, like Marcus Peters told us, or rather, check that, uh, Marlon Humphrey for the Ravens told us at one point earlier this season. To me, he's a special, special player, and that was clear from day number one. I also put Javon Holland for the defense to round out kind of both sides of the football. The range he displayed, the football IQ, the way he can arrive from depth and square up on a ball carrier, all of those were kind of evident in camp and translated to the season. Love seeing that. An absolute tone setter. It's a great question. Who was yours? Hit me up on Twitter. Let me know. Who's your favorite player to watch on this year's Dolphins Club? Let's pick our week 18 picks and then get out of here. We're 178, 77, and 1 on the season. We need to go 12 and 4 in week 18 to get to 70%. Can we do it? It'll be tough with some teams resting starters, but as I'm looking at these picks, there's a lot of chalk in here. So go favorites. Uh, I'm taking the Chiefs over the Broncos. I'm taking the Cowboys over the Eagles. I don't know how either of those teams are going to play that game on sun on Saturday. We'll see. Uh, I'll take the WFT over the Giants. They're going to name their team in February, I believe. We'll see what that turns out to be. But right now, the football team over the Giants. I'll take the Browns over the Bengals. I think Joe Burrow said he wasn't playing, so I'll take the Browns in that one. Give me the Ravens over the Steelers, the Packers over the Lions. The Titans clinch the one seed with a win over the Texans. I'll take the Saints over the Falcons. Give me the Colts over the Jaguars. That's going to break a lot of hearts around the AFC if the Colts win that game. The playoffs are basically set. Give me the Vikings over the Bears, the Cardinals over the Seahawks, the Bills over the Jets, the Dolphins over the Patriots. Take the Bucks over the Panthers, the Rams over the Niners. And if that happens and they the Niners fall out of the playoff race, that could help Miami's draft pick in the first round. And in the loser out, winner in game and Sunday night, I'll take the Chargers over the Raiders. All right, that is my time, and that is just about a wrap on the regular season. We'll have the recap podcast on Sunday night slash Monday morning, and then the All-22 review on Tuesday. And I think that'll be it. We'll get into exit interview season where we kind of break down what happened this year for this football team at each position, talk about what's ahead coming up in the offseason. 
Plenty of fun content coming your way here on MiamiDolphins.com, on the Drive Time Podcast, on the YouTube channel. Keep it locked right there. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure. Give us some, some reviews in the podcast, please. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow me on social, at Twitter, on Twitter, on Instagram, at Wingfield NFL. Follow the Miami Dolphins, at Miami Dolphins, easy enough. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast. Seth and Juice are going to have some off-season content for you guys there as well. And of course, the YouTube channel for the media availabilities and Dolphins today. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline. Daddy is coming home.